I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hi, everyone. Um, I think we are live now. Um, Irenison, can you hear me properly? I can. Can you hear me? Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> so great. That's <laughs> you look great. It's great, by the way. <laughs> so to begin with, thank you so much for doing this with me. I said it a thousand times, but it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks to the London Review of um, Bookshop, London Review Bookshop, for for having us, and thanks um, to all of you guys for attending this. Um, so this is one of the main events I'm doing to launch my new book. It's called Sterling Carat Gold, but this is not the sole focus of this chat because obviously I've got Irene Sinokoji and this is her last publication. So we will talk about both of these books um, during this chat today and it's going to be really quite relaxed and you guys um, can chip in with questions at any time and we'll just either address them towards the end or on the spot. Um, let's just see how it goes. Um, do you think? Yeah, sounds great. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this event. Um, it's such a joy, actually, to to do this conversation with you because you're such a joy and such a brilliant <laughs> writer and, you know, somebody who whose journey I've watched, as you know, and I'm just thrilled for you, um, you know, that you have this excellent, amazing book out. So, yeah, I'm really happy for us to have this conversation. And it's so rare for us, right, to get to talk with other writers, like over the last, since, since the pandemic, really. So all of these events are just a total joy, isn't it? And I've also, actually, I've been attending lots of online events as well, just to hear people talk about their writing. So it's a, it's a treat. It's a lovely thing, isn't it? To hear yeah. other people talk about process. And yeah, no, completely. So sort of isolated and insular at the moment that it's just like, oh, these things are just really great to have at the moment. You know, to the intimacy of having a one-to-one -one conversation with another author is um, it's a it's a lovely privilege. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. Yeah. So I think um, 
I think everybody in the audience will know who you are anyway, but I will do the proper thing and read your introduction, just in case some people are new to either of our writings. We thought we do um, the polite thing and don't presume anything. So I'm going to briefly read out. Um, hey, do you pronounce your own name, Irenison or Irenison? Irenison. <laughs> I do. But so many people I've got I that's how I say it. And so many people say Iranism, but I guess it's like an anglicized version of it. Yeah, no, it's definitely Iranison. <laughs> so Iranison Okoji is a Nigerian British writer. Her debut novel, Butterfly Fish, won a Betty Trask Award and was shortlisted for an Edinburgh International First Book Award. Her short story collection, Speak Gigantula, published by Chakaranda Books, was shortlisted for the Edge Hill Short Story Prize, the Chalak Prize, the Supporter Awards, and nominated for a Shirley Jackson Award. Her new collection of stories, Nudie Brunch, published by Dialogue Books, was longlisted for the Chalak Prize. She's the winner of the 2020 AKO Kane Prize for Fiction for the absolutely phenomenal short story Grace Jones, which I will point out is available to read for free online somewhere. I know this because I've been teaching that story last term and the fact that it was um, available freely online for everybody easily accessible was a, was a, a boon as well. So guys, if you want to check something out, try before you buy, then, then go and find that short story. Um, and Irenison is also a fellow and vice chair of the Royal Society of Literature. And I think recently, an, what's it called, an OBE or an, an MBE? An MBE, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, with all oh, the complexities, it's just incredible. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And now I'm privileged to introduce you. Um, the amazing Isabel Widener is a writer and academic based in London. They are the author of three novels, Sterling Carrot Gold, We Are Made of Diamond Stuff and Gordy Bubble. They were shortlisted for the Goldsmith Prize and the Republic of Consciousness Prize twice, amazing, and won the International Literature Press. They are a co-founder of the event series Queers Read This at the Institute of Contemporary Arts and the programmer and presenter of This Isn't a Dream, a fortnightly literary talk show also hosted by the ICA via Instagram Live, which is um, a fantastic series of events. Um, for those of you who may not be aware of it, you know, definitely want to go back and look at the videos if they're still actually available. Um, yeah. to consume, but yeah, what a joy to be in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, guys, exactly. I'm doing this um, talk show, this regular fortnightly literary chat show with, with the ICA as well. And um, Irenison was one of the guests. So go to the ICA IGTV and um, watch our conversation there as well. If you, if you get, um, if you get into the flavor of things. But this one is quite different because um, I think we're going to focus. We had a lot, we, we started the conversation and realized we had a lot to talk about, which is why um, we're going to pick up. This is going to be an even better part of the conversation. Part, part two. 
<laughs> part two. And I will say again that all of our books, including the new ones, um, published by Peninsula Press and um, Dialogue books are available on the LRB website. There's um, a particular little um, link that Claire from the LRB will probably put up in the chat and you can buy our entire back catalogue on the London Review um, Bookshop <laughs> website. So, shall I ask you a question first? Yeah, so I wanted to, I, I did this before when I talked to Irenis and I picked up on particular lines because she is like incredible with lines. There are some lines in especially Nudie Branch, I think, which is my, my personal favorite um, work of yours so far. And um, they're just some lines that really make you fall over backwards. So one of my favorite ones is in um, a short story called Daishuku. And um, this particular line is about elephant and castle, which if you're in London, all of you will know and probably miss already because they've just taken it down, I think, or they're in the process of taking it down. So the line is, the grotesque shopping malls, pink elephant drinking oil from the subway steps before skidding on the ice, breaking its neck to interrupt the overwhelming feeling of loneliness. So you take this little pink elephant that we all know, that we all seen a thousand times, and you make it do something, just um, kind of out of context, but um, in the story, but really fundamentally rooted in the story as well. And you connect this to this sort of surreal imagery that's also incredibly, incredibly realist, because we're so familiar with this, the elephant, and you make it do something that's to do with something really profound, like um, human loneliness. And um, <laughs> there's so much going on in this line and it does so much work and it's at the same time so stunning. Like I could write an entire novel <laughs> about this one line. No, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I think that I really have a passion for creating imagery that's, that's loaded and operating on multiple levels. Um, because for me, I just have so much to say and sometimes I find it hard to just say it really cleanly. So it's a bit like falling down a rabbit hole. And, you know, um, I, I went to college there for a bit and it, it was so interesting mm -hmm. that experience because that the market there, like everyone will know it, you know, the market there is is kind of slightly gauzy and <laughs> slightly bizarre. Uh, and, and then yeah. you have that like weird looking pink elephant, um, which is almost like, I don't know, slightly saccharine in that very gritty environment. And it, yeah. it kind of throws you off a bit, um, mm -hmm. you know, and there are points where I was, you know, coming back and forth, coming back and forth when I was um, attending college there that I felt that sense of loneliness, you know, that sense of I don't know where you're in the city and so much is happening, but at the same time you can feel quite removed from it while particular images just stay with you. And there was just something about that pink elephant that I felt really works as um, a kind of anchoring. Oh, that's something that people will recognize from that area, but also, you know, also will be surreal and, you know, make you question your sense of place. You know, it's this thing of presenting place as you know it where it's familiar, but also unfamiliar um, in a sense, and that things happen. And um, often with my stories, um, things come to life. Uh, That's what I was going to ask. Exactly. Yeah, things come to life. So it's just, it's, 
everything kind of speaks, everything has its own kind of um, hidden um, entity about it that's really, that's really fascinating for me. So that's, you know, that's why I, I guess that image um, operates on that, on that level. Um, I want to ask you similarly, I mean, your work is so daring, um, exciting, and I think provocative in terms of what you're doing. Um, I want to know um, for this novel, because when we last spoke, you you said something really interesting to me, um, which I think is absolutely amazing for a writer and artist to be doing, is that you want to do something different with each book. You know, you want to push yourself um, where it's people know it's Isabel Widener, but they're getting something slightly different. So I wondered if you could just talk to us a bit about you know your intentions for this book and you know how you feel is different to the first one also brilliance uh and what you're doing in terms of form because it's also like i don't know i think your stuff is really kaleidoscopic man it's like yeah. you, know, yeah, no, you, you go into these bizarre worlds with these deeply colorful characters that you really really care about you know you want to see how the story unfolds and it's yeah. kind of like madcap and it's zany as well, you know, and there's just like this playfulness to it. Um, and I just, I'm just amazed that you do all of that. Um, so yeah, I was curious. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. About that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's completely what I'm trying to do in a way. And um, where shall I start? I mean, exactly, to, to begin with, how is it different from We Are Made of Diamond stuff? I think, um, sort of some of the themes are still kind of the same and they probably will always be the same. They're like, um, you know, um, looking at, um, you know, kind of um, queer and trans and working class and migrant bodies in this current um, condition that is the UK that we're all existing in. So it always looks at that. So there is like a, an element of, of realism in some bizarre way, really from fundamentally in there. But then, like you say, in a way I also do what you do is I open up these rabbit holes. Like um, I would have surreal imagery in there as well. I would have like, um, un, un, like um, weird, um, imagery of some weird language in there or some something that just wears off at an angle in a way in there suddenly and it opens up all of these um actually i like it all of these rabbit holes but um i will also say that i think that often also reflects the experience that we have here in this um, actually in the in the uk in particular that's sort of this idea that sometimes you don't know where you're at anymore I do this deliberately in my writing, but it also reflects um, some 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 of my own experience. Sometimes, you know, even reading the news, you sometimes think, "What? What? Where did that just come from?" <laughs> so, so I'm I'm doing um, all that, and I think in, in terms of the difference to diamond stuff, I think um, this book is probably. I don't, I don't know whether I want to do something completely different each book, but I want to be a little bit more ambitious with each mm. book. Yeah. So I think this achieved, I think um, I would, if I say so myself, I think I achieved that. That's sort of the, 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 I try to do something a little bit more ambitious and a little bit more extra compared yeah. to the previous books. Yeah. Um, maybe as much as I would say. I, yeah. And I, I also, yeah, exactly. I try to create narratives that are actually catchy, which is um, something that you do as well. You do this. Um, 
sort of what they used to call experimental um, mm. aesthetic at the same time as actually having quite um, captivating narratives. And I try to yeah. do that too. I think I think that's that's the theme for both of us actually. And just kind of responding to what you just said, it you know I felt a similar way after um, right Speak Gigantula was such a raw collection for me. I was essentially just making sense of my experience as a young black woman growing up in London, you know, um, Nigerian, but also British, but kind of like in between cultures as well. And just like that feeling of being other, you know, so I was just trying to make sense of it with those stories. So it was like there was really no technical <laughs> like approach in terms of it was just these raw stories that came out of me because I had um, I had discovered the form through reading Dennis Johnson's incredible Jesus's son, um, mm -hmm. which is an amazing short story collection um, that I credit actually for for making me passionate about the short form. And I guess I loved the the, the empathy he was able to create with the character um, in that series of interconnected stories because the character was, um, you know, a drug addict mm -hmm. and somebody on the fringes. And and weirdly enough, I connected to that because, you know, obviously it, it, it was slightly different. You know, the character was a white man, but there was something about the otherness of what he was going through, um, trying to process being an addict and these colorful characters that would come into his world. Um, and it was such a freewheeling um, collection that it really kind of struck me. And I thought, God, I would love to do something. I would love to use the short form to express myself in that way. So. Yeah, speaking Angela, it was just kind of yeah, getting those experiences out. Um, but having, you know, the ideas were quirky, quirky as well. But they were also some of the things actually happened. <laughs> you know, like you're saying that, you know, actually some of the stuff that happens to us is actually real, even though it sounds crazy. And it was like, how do I make sense of this? Um, this is so interesting because just to pick up on what you just, the last thing that you just said, it has happened to me before that people. Um, readers couldn't tell. People thought um, particular elements were surreal and were were inventions that I said, oh no, that bit actually happened exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about like um, it's about like blurring these lines a little bit of what could what is real realism, what is real and what is surreal. That I think I'm trying to completely displace that and. Yeah. Um, I think you do that a little bit too, exactly. Yeah. Because, hmm. No, definitely. And yeah, there, there were one or two stories in Speak Angela as well, where uh, when people read that, they said, oh God, surely that didn't, that's not real. Like, you know, you made that, you just made that up from your imagination. And, and no, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, it actually exactly. is true, you know. Exactly. Um, and there are some quite fantastical stories, but you know, there were some that actually genuinely happened. And then I think like you as well, I mean, I think this, we have so much in common in terms of our intention. Um, with Nudibranch, I just wanted to be even more ambitious. Like the ideas were wilder, the, you know, mm -hmm. the ideas were more experimental. The stories were longer than the stories in Speak Gargantula. I was like pushing myself. Mm -hmm. And I felt in a sense, I guess, because, you know, um, I'd been picked up by a different publisher in a way that gave me a certain confidence because mm -hmm. with with Speak I was like I wasn't sure how how the writing would be received you know mm -hmm. um, and then because it was sort of critically acclaimed that mm -hmm. that really made me feel like okay I can really own 
being in this place, right, having these ideas, you know, it's like permission in a way, the same yeah. way we get from, from writers, you know, in fact, I think that's probably what I'm going to ask you next, you know, who, 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 who kind of gave you permission to say, I want to, because I think that's really important, you know, it's, it's a bit like having, I call them literary ancestors, where mm. there are people you just, their work was just so important in helping shape you. Not that you imitate what they do, because obviously, you know, to find your authorial voice, it takes a while to get mm. to that place. But exactly. something about that their work made you feel, oh, I can exist too. I can dare to do things too. So yeah, that's what I, I want to ask you that. Um, who did yes. that for you? Because I think that that's important for... That's a really interesting question, and it took me actually ages to find my proper literary ancestors, because um, there is, especially in Britain, I don't think I'm, I don't think, I think I can say that there is actually a shortage of um, queer innovative writers. Mm. Like there are people working now, but there has been a bit of a desert. Um, actually, up until the last few years, the, the idea that there would be queer and formerly innovative writers in the based in the UK um, was it was just not particularly happening. To be completely honest with you, um, so I felt because I mean, interestingly, we are made of diamond stuff. Isn't even my first novel. It's my first novel is is um, called Gordy Bobel. I show you. Is this? So I had this out oh, first. Yeah. Yeah. And um, before I had this out, I'd written already like three other novels that never got published. So I've wow. in a way been been writing for ages, for like probably I've probably been writing full time, honestly, for almost twenty years. And there was so such an absolute abs absence of a scene or. I should say that this, if there was a scene, it wasn't accessible to me because also um, I was working class, I was working in like um, other jobs. So it took me, I was writing for a really long time before my work started surfacing. And this is quite typical for lots of, um, for if I speak to other queer writers who are doing like, um, who were writing work that is just didn't map exactly on the kind of, um, sort of um, more um, acceptable traditions, more acceptable traditional um, literary traditions. People were working away for ages and ages and ages till we're like now surfacing. But um, I did find an American, um, American tradition. They're called New Narrative Tradition. And they're not even very well known in the UK to this day. There are people, they are actually, they started in the 70s and they are a collective of queer um, writers who did really innovative stuff. And I read, started reading that kind of stuff and um, that gave me for myself the permission to, to really be confident. But in a way I also um, had to find my confidence just, confidence just by doing and doing and doing it and, and acquiring some sort of a competence, I guess. Like over the years, you kind of know what it is that you want to do and that what you, whether you, what you're doing is solid or not. So that's how it happened, really. And now there is like a really thriving um, literary scene of um, queer poets and also 
um, artists who are writing really innovative stuff and um, you know like trans writers are getting actual publicity it's a different world you know I think um, that's great you know yeah. it's really important and like you said it's 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 come from a place of like lots of hard work and sort of quiet writing as well for a long time you know you talk about which is why everything that's happening for you is so fantastic because you have been doing that work for a long time and it takes it takes a lot to keep going you know people often see the work but they don't understand the cost of what goes on behind the scenes you know you would have had to make space for that juggle multiple jobs juggle mm -hmm. appointments juggle people who didn't be maybe believe in your voice because they thought yeah. it was too much of a risk and yeah. all this stuff that we publish you know oh it's good but we we can't do anything with it you know as a writer all of that has an impact on you and you kind of have to pick yourself up when that stuff happens and keep going and I think that what you said what you said is really inspirational actually about having to find your confidence yourself of course you have to you know you have to read other people's work and be influenced by other writers but you have to do the work as well. You know, you have to believe you have you. There's mm. something to say to mm. the world, and that that, mm. that deserves the space. Mm. Uh, you know, even if you can't see much of yourself reflected, mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly that's how I felt. You know, yeah, I, mean, I exactly. yeah, I felt the same I way because, like, I can't imagine. Didn't they did, yeah. you know, pushing. <laughs> they didn't really know what to do with me in the beginning because it was. We would send work out and it was like okay this is really strong but we we don't we don't have a space for her on our list or we don't know how we're gonna push her or market yeah. her and you know yeah. that stuff is really disappointing because you feel like you're doing the work you know yeah. um, and um but yeah i just had to keep going as well um and was really i guess influenced by people like i mean i guess some of the usual suspects tony morrison i've talked about mm -hmm. her before and, mm. and I actually think that she was um, experimental, but not really given that credit because everybody mm -hmm. talks about her political impact, you know, um, but also um, people like Jamaica Kinsid, um, mm -hmm. whose um, collection at the yeah. bottom of the river. It's like it's not even I don't even know what to call that. How do you even yeah. define that? You know, exactly. it's like it's like a series of paintings or, yeah. you know, like a series of meditations. I don't know. It's just it's really weird. And I just. I really love what she did and then you know people like Shirley Jackson as well who were just quite dark <laughs> in terms yeah, of the things that she would she would write about Octavia Butler I, I mean I remember reading Wild Seed and I was like what the yeah. hell I just read oh <laughs> yeah. my god definitely this is amazing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know um but there wasn't you know there wasn't really I guess a strong um, UK presence of black innovative writers, except um, Bernadine Evaristo and Leonie Ross, who whose work I love. I love both of them because you know because they exist in that space. It kind of gives you permission to feel like, oh, okay, I can exist in that in that space I too. Yeah. So Definitely. it's just really interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting, and I and I still feel like that at the moment because there is not that many elders for our, for my generation, in terms of like a queer and trans scene, we are still doing a lot of work, not just me, but my peers now as well, a lot of work to create um, the conditions for our own yeah. existence in a way. So we're doing yeah. 
a lot of queers and a lot of work and part of that is me putting on that event an event series at the ICA that queers read this as well part of that was like um working with publishers and like sort of um some like mentoring or at least supporting upcoming queer and trans writers yeah so, that's phenomenal i just think that's so phenomenal to have that generosity of spirit to want to create space for other writers because not everybody does that you know yeah, you you well, I think, I, think, I think we're both very community orientated, you know, because we see it as if if I if I create a space to thrive, then others can thrive as well. You know, yeah. it's not just about me thriving like I don't enjoy it when it's like that, because, as you know, it can be a very isolating, lonely experience. But there's something so rewarding and wonderful about seeing other people thrive and flourish mm -hmm. and kind of get their wings as well so i think it's it's incredible that you've had that generosity of spirit and you know this is how you function as a yeah. writer it's just what you do exactly. i have no interest in being on my own because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i almost would say that i almost started writing to find to connect with other writers and to connect oh, with other queer and trans writers so it was exactly I wanted to achieve that through writing only to then realize oh okay that might not there there, there aren't at least not in a, the context that I existed in there weren't many other writers there were many artists many musicians many um, um, people who were studying I guess but there weren't many writers in a way in my social um, environment really but but now there are now now well, there's <laughs> now there's, there's loads right and that's, that's exactly really exciting you know it's know. really it's exciting times for, for for literature at the moment i mean maybe the most exciting ones like since in my lifetime because this, like like is what's been happening with black writing it's with queer and and trans writing this this these things are now suddenly this is uh they're like, I don't know for what reason, but at the moment there's a, a we, we have actually managed to create a bit of a space, but it's yeah. kind of work. That's amazing. And yeah, it's so important as well to be able to have the conversation with allies who, who get that, because of course you wouldn't, if you, if you didn't have an ally at ICA who got what you were trying to do, you know, you wouldn't be able to put on this, that series. So it's mm. about connecting with people who who want to be able to give that platform to artists who get it um, mm -hmm. I'm just glad that like those conversations are obviously happening and um, it means that you know you continue to create space you know space for others um, yeah so to the LRB <laughs> for giving us shout out to like them. them yeah absolutely <laughs> hey Shall we do a reading? Because I'm sort of looking at the at the clock. And if you want to give the audience a chance to ask questions, maybe we should both do short readings. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to and do then, that. And then let you open it up to the audience. Well, should do you you're, the head, you're the headliner, so I think I should go. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no headliners in this. Yeah, 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 you're the headliner, so I'll go first. Um, I'm going to read um, from... Cincipellum, which is a story about a tailor who sets up a shop in a sewing, he sets up an atelier in a sewing machine museum and starts to create dresses for the 
local women who become infatuated with him, but there is a price to pay. So this is an excerpt from Sinsapellum. She began working for him a week later, scouring shops for fine materials, measuring and cutting, learning to sew, hunting for unusual accessories. She visited milliners, procured fine hats the color of quail eggs, the burnished gold of the Sahara, the hue of the Garonne at night. She watched his sketches come to life with a soft wonder in her throat, the outfits like architectural constructs waiting for bodies to invade them, her fingers spinning them slowly on a tailor's mannequin under the kaleidoscopic glow from the skylight, the quiet language of sand stealthily spilling in a corner, the chug of the sewing machines temporarily silenced. The pop-up atelier in the sewing machine museum sprang up like a small utopia, longing for the flurry of action. And the women came like drunken butterflies drawn to Eden, one by one, until the atelier became a hive of activity, leaking laughter and excitable voices. The women were seduced by Manu, his beauty, his sophistication, the unpredictability of his style, his erudite tales and the assured rumble of his voice. He told them he was born in the Gambia, Namibia, Zambia. He was inconsistent, flamboyant. Oh, but where was he from again? No matter. He offered them sinsapalum, wild African berries, as if the fruit grew from the blade of the guillotine, the hands of the old grandfather clock on one ortilier wall, the mouths of the mannequins, the break of sweet exotic fruit flooded the women's tongues. They kept coming back for more, more Manu, more handfuls of Sinsapellum, more Noma, flicking through his sketches, fingering the lines of all they could be, if only, aspiration captured in drawings, all the while kernels of pain formed inside Manu, gathering into a mass. The orders increased. Mrs. Jovan, head of the town council, had a nettle green Bodicea gown made for her, which swished around her ankles romantically. Mrs. Lonegren, owner of a chain of flower stores, hooed in pleasure at the final reveal of her metallic Joan of Arc inspired ensemble on the atelier floor. Mrs. Hunt, a wine buyer, blinked at her image in an intricately designed pale off-shoulder 1920s flapper number with a crystallized beaded beret to match, gasping as if she hadn't seen herself before, at least not this way. Manu made women feel marvelous, valued, appreciated. He not only understood the female form, he celebrated it every dip of the back, every arch of a neck, every individual flare of hips. He masked and he revealed, he obscured and he unnerved. He knew how to make the most extraordinary of women feel like a goddess. This was his gift. Every woman had a quality of beauty of her own, making, lurking beneath the skin. Manu knew ways to make it bloom, how to tease it to the surface. And every night, Noma would return to her lonely bedsit, bone tired, fall into bed, unceremoniously woken by the leak in her ceiling landing on her face, acting as an alarm for the next day's 
activities. Five months pass. The women love their new outfits. They dance in their hallways wearing them. Fun in mirrors gathering mist the color of Sinsapalam. Their reflections were released, mimicking their poses in the poorer areas of town, the other side. A swish of silk skirts passing the window of a Turkish food hall that had shut down. A pantsuit limp against the keyhole of a gutted former Jamaican takeaway. A squeezed flamenco dress sleeve brushing the iron gates of an abandoned youth centre that had lost its fun funding. Slipstreams followed each reflection like a watery shadow. By June, the shots of pain my new experience had intensified, spreading through his limbs. His hands in particular were in constant pain. He woke up in agony, the fingers appearing gnarled to him. He couldn't keep up with the orders, with the monster he'd created. The rise of sand from the suitcase in the corner of the atelier had become too much. The mannequins were pregnant with mirages, stomachs protruded, splitting material. The glove in the post slot had swelled with blood. Designs from the periphery had begun to crash through the skylight in confused stupors, unsure of how their material versions would manifest. The chug of the sewing machines in his ears was constant till he found himself impersonating the sound sporadically in conversation. He'd run out of ash and his wild African berries no longer grew in the area for him. I'll leave it there. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Can we have a similar treat from you? Yeah. Shall we have a, a something? Yes, please. Okay. So, because it's a novel, I'm just going to give a tiny little bit of context. This is from the beginning of the second chapter, and you don't need much context. All I say is that the main character, Sterling, basically was attacked in the very first scene of the book. Um, they're attacked and it's like some sort of bullfight. So Sterling is attacked by all of these bullfighters. So there's a reference to that in, in the section that I'm reading. And the other thing you need to know maybe is that, um, the, that then um, Sterling is rescued by like um, some um, other trans person called Rodney. And Sterling immediately like developed some sort of crush on Rodney, but it's sort of very, you know unspoken and stuff. And then, um, but mainly what we'll see is an encounter of Sterling with their very very best mate called Chachki, who they run a performance group 
with like some DIY performance troop. And um, that's what happened in the first chapter. So I'll just read the second bit. And Sterling is basically now encountering someone who says they're a time traveler. So it's out there, yeah? <laughs> okay, I'll start. Having dropped Chachki off at their block, I continue walking up Delancey Street towards mine, and the exact same person, Chachki, or so it seems, who I dropped off seconds ago, is now walking towards me, talking and gesticulating with urgency. Not only is this Chachki so-called, positioned impossibly in relation to where I just left them, they are dressed in an outfit entirely unfamiliar to me, namely a too tight, cheap-looking, two-tone polyester two-piece, second-hand car dealer style, and tassel loafers, which arguably counts as a look somewhere New Jersey. They've got their hair slicked into a center parting and unfairly are showcasing a neatly clipped pencil mustache, the likes of which I've been trying to grow for a decade but haven't been able to, and more to the point, doesn't exist above Chachki's upper lip either, or it didn't seconds ago. And what's that smell? Is that eau de cologne? This Chachki in that two-tone two-piece, orange or purple, depending on the light's angle of incidence, is talking non-stop and inappropriately loudly in an effort to get my attention. But I'm sorry, I'm already listening to the staticky sound that their suit makes in motion, the clicking of their loafers on asphalt, and la 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 la, the singing in my head. And yet, I can hear Chachki Cheap Copy chatting at me, repeatedly saying about an important message they wish to convey. And get this, about the not too distant future, hence they hail. And if there was ever a point where I was following them, I'm now lost metaphorically speaking. Literally, I just arrived outside my flat. I stop, throw caution to the wind, look pseudo Chachki straight in the eye and ask, what message? Chachki second-hand car salesman stresses that under no circumstances should I do what I'm planning on doing tomorrow, Saturday, and that I should put my not unfounded reservations about the police to one side and report what happened to me earlier today as a priority. They're referring to the bullfight, of course. Go police, they say. That is the message. I'm sorry, who are you? I say uncooperatively. And as a rule, I don't take instructions from strangers. But it's me, Chachki, Chachki Center Parting insists. And I admit that there's a softness in their eyes that is vaguely familiar, alongside a mercilessness that is irreconcilably alien. It's this mercilessness, this determination, beyond even the suit, the moustache and the eau de cologne, that renders them unrecognizable to me. I'm telling whoever this is that they aren't, Chachki. Their blatant inhumaneness being just one of the many, many reasons I know that they aren't, they aren't Chachki, but an imposter and a charlatan. What's this now? They're pinging unsolicited photos to my phone, depicting me and Chachki in unfamiliar scenarios. One shot against a backdrop, backdrop mimicking Baghdad, and one featuring ancient superstructures in where? The Belizean rainforest, Chachki Sosi says. So I say as if and dream on. The furthest I travel is Forest Gate to the east, Forest Hill to the south, Westbourne Park to the west, and Glasgow to the north. I have never been a tourist or a global citizen or part of an international jet set at all. I've stayed put since first I arrived in London in 2001, 
perhaps to minimize travel costs, perhaps because all I've ever wanted was a home. Photoshop, I say, photoshopped, I say, disparagingly, also nonchalantly, as if Chachki con artists' photos don't look impressively realistic and aren't getting to me. But they do look realistic and they are getting to me. I start deleting the images as they come in. I can't delete them quickly enough. Trash can, trash can, trash can, waste basket by Chachki perfume counter keeps bombarding me with their unlikely photos and videos. There are short clips of me looking disorientated in San Francisco. Never in my life have I been San Francisco. Are you sure you want to delete? Yes, I am sure, delete already. But then Phony Chachki pings over an image of Rodney and myself in a car park outside what looks like a North American mosque, and I hesitate. Not because of North America or the mosque, but because of Rodney, myself, and the unimaginable familiarity existing between us. Chachki4711 now corners me in the entrance to my block, saying, look at me, as if that would change anything. You aren't Chachki, I repeat, like a mantra or a protective spell. I prove to you that I am, they say. And how are you going to do that, I say. They say chariots, Roman spa. Three words, six syllables, denoting the place the real Chachki and I met 20 years ago, a life-changing encounter for both of us. We'd be nothing without each other, and neither of us would be anything without cataclysmic foibles. And the latter wouldn't exist if it weren't for Chariot's Roman Spa, the gay sauna in Shoreditch, East London, 1996 to 2016, RIP, O gentrification. Chachki Cologne says it again, namely that they, Chachki Tesla loafers, are Chachki. The only difference being that they went back in time to put me off my ill-fated plans to go Hendon Football Club tomorrow and to urge me to go police ASAP, ideally tonight. Or else, I say being difficult, I say that I don't remember having informed Chachki my bestie nor Chachki from the future of the precise nature of my plans. In fact, I kept my messaging deliberately cryptic all day to prevent unsolicited interventions I didn't want to be in the position of having to justify or defend my plans to go hand in tomorrow, not to Chachki, nor to them, a cheap alter ego with a pencil moustache. I think I'll leave it at that. It That's continues incredible, like that. Incredible, incredible. <laughs> and you know what? So, but obviously, I read it and it's amazing, but hearing you read it out loud as well, it's just like the world explodes and reconfigures. <laughs> It's just absolutely, I want to swear. Good brilliant. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You create such a singular, unique aesthetic with this character and like, you know, the intimacy, the way you bring the reader on board um, to kind of go along in his world and get a sense of what he's going through and like with these sany concepts as well. I mean, what an opener, it's incredible. Um, oh, bless yeah, you. That was Thank such you a so treat. Much. No, that was such a such a wonderful treat. Thank you for that. Oh, bless you. It's an honor. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, share more, but no, because we've only got ten minutes left. So yeah. Um, guys, um, we're going to look at some of your questions. So if you want to get some in, type them into the chat now, and I'm going to read them out. So, um, will one. One element, oh, this is from Will, I think. One element of Okoji's work 
that fascinates me is dreamlike and glitch, glitchy plot, plot progressions. Whether it is the feverish shards refusing to cohere of big gigantula or the dizzying historical maelstrom of butterfly fish, I'm curious how does Okoji consider her work dizzying, her work's dizzying discontinuities? Gosh, what a question. I mean, I know. That's, <laughs> Thank that's, you for a, that's a PhD right there. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the only way I can describe it, I guess, is that it's kind of instinctive because that's how I write. You know, I, I feel my way through the process and I like to be surprised myself because I think that when that happens, it, it makes it a joyful, unexpected experience for me. Um, you know, I can have an idea uh, one day and then come back to the page another the next day and that idea has mutated slightly by the time I'm writing it and something else has come up that's taken me off course and I think, Ooh, what about putting her in that context? Or what if this happens? Or what if this person just randomly appears? Or what if this, what if I just explore this texture, you know? Um, so I think because I'm just, I'm so curious myself and I'm so, um, I'm so curious about process and how I keep it elastic. Um, that's so important for me in terms of my approach. You know, some people like to be really structured and, and that's fine as well. Everybody is different, but I'm kind of at the op opposite end of the spectrum in that. So, yeah, I guess like the way things are upended, it's it's a surprise for me, too. Um, I don't I don't have a it's 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 also partly mysterious is all I can say, you know, I mean, I have an intention and as I'm creating the texture of a narrative, I'm, you know, I'm really into creating the world and what it feels like and, you know, what things look like and um, making sure that there are specificities within that. So you get the sense that you're somewhere familiar, but you're, you've also just suddenly fallen down a rabbit hole and um, you're somewhere different, you're somewhere other. Um, I think that the otherness that I experience outside in the world um, or the restrictions that I feel or experience outside in the world because of who I am as a black woman there's something about the freedom on the page that lets me just you know what I mean just completely go there I, I just I become I, I become completely fearless on the page in a way that the world doesn't allow me to be and I think I think that's that's why the works um, turn out the way they do, you know. I would, I, I completely relate to what you're just saying. That was such a brilliant answer and something you also said. Um, I really, um, I would apply to myself as well that you say, um, you need to be excited, excited yourself. You need to be yeah. surprised and be yeah. excited yourself. I have that really a lot as well. I'm, I'm not good. In fact, I tried before. When I started writing this book, I tried for the first time mapping out a plot and um, writing it then. I threw away half a book that I did <laughs> like that because it was dead to me. It was so dead. I can't, if, I'm, if I know what's supposed to happen, I can't write the scene because um, it doesn't get the energy into it. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean. You know what you I mean? Everyone's different. Yeah, everyone's it's that it's that energy of feeling like you know the work lives and breathes it's like when you were reading it i was it could have been a film i mean i was in it i was just it was like it lived off the page for me when you were do you know what i mean 
like in terms of <laughs> just special yeah. quality and you know i love work that does that I, I just think it speaks to you on such a visceral level um, that you cannot help but respond to it like when you would describe when there's the line you said about his mustache not existing um above oh, yeah, his, yeah. it's so <laughs> hilarious it's so yeah. funny but also so distinctive that yeah. you know when i read it <laughs> i was laughing and then hearing you read it i was laughing i was like oh my god and it was just like dali-esque as well you yeah. know <laughs> crazy zany well um but yeah i love it when work does that so that's yeah, yeah that was probably a really long answer to that question nobody well, it, it was half a phd but that's what he that's what the person was asking for yeah. hey we've got a question from leonie ross thank you so oh, much for coming leonie, thank you so much he's been burning leonie uh, yeah. <laughs> Can each writer imagine the inside of their own heads, how they experience their own minds, and choose one texture, texture we could find there, one scent, one sound? <gasps> you go first. Yeah, I mean, maybe it has to be Nudibranch. It has to be these Mollocks that um, I've become sort of obsessed with. I feel like my brain is like that. You know, these, <laughs> these, these creatures, and they, they're alien-like, and they're all so individual, and they're malleable, and they're slick, you know, uh, and they're just, like, bright and colourful and vibrant. I feel like my head, I feel like my head space is like, that's why this collection had to be called Nudibranch, because that spoke to me on so many levels. It was like, oh, these creatures are my kids. <laughs> a weird way this so, answer is so much better than the answer i can come up with now honestly this answer is better my answer is my answer is rubbish but it's it's simply my my the thing in my mind would be sunshine there would be bright sunshine amazing. yeah my, my writing is i mean my writing is also sometimes violent and sometimes brutal and it it has this realism to it but in the writing there's like this sunshine flooded sunshine and tons of space yeah. like all of the stuff we don't get in london i guess or not i agree often. with that there's a i know what you're saying there's a luminescence to your writing mm. it's luminous you know even even though it will be graphic and violent and there's something about it that is just is just bright and and mm. like searing you know searing mm. um mm. Uh, yeah, that's what I. That's that's what I want. I want to. Is it's a searing place in yeah. a way. That yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. and those those are great questions. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing questions. Yeah, amazing. Trust Leonie Ross to ask that. Trust Leonie to ask that question. That is a, we need Leonie's answer. Can you type it in the chat? <laughs> Right. Lisa Blackman, what are you both working on at the moment? And can you give us a taste of your forthcoming project? Oh, what are you working on? Um, uh, well, you know, working on. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm working on a novel. Um, yeah, I'm working on a novel, which I'm excited about. Um, so but I've also been working on commissions as well, like nonfiction stuff. And I haven't written loads of nonfiction, actually. So it's been interesting. Um, you know, obviously I've written stuff for like The Guardian and, and um, spaces like that, but I wouldn't say that I was one of those writers who wrote loads and loads of nonfiction. So to do some nonfiction um, writing has challenged me actually in a different way, you know, because my 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 immediate 
instinct is to write how I <laughs> write fiction, but sometimes you can't do that depending on what the commission is. So, yeah. you know, you have to find other ways of doing the writing. Uh, and then sometimes I'm writing nonfiction and I'm like, oh, I really want to get back to writing fiction. <laughs> but, you know, so it's a, it's a balance. It's that thing of being challenged. It's nice to be challenged um, in a different way. But yeah, the, the other thing is, yeah, working on the novel, which um, I'm excited about. You know, it's good to go back to that space because, yeah, last year was just such a difficult year, I think, for many of us that it kind of it sort of threw you off kelter well me off kelter um yeah because obviously i was sick as well so but yeah it's it's nice to how lucky are we i guess to to have this creative yeah, space, you know really especially true. during this time like to be able to make things um it's it's really um special even though for us it's just like oh yeah it's just the way we think you know but it has been a bit of a blessing in this in yeah you know imagine life. if you didn't have that what you yeah. you know how would you cope with that with what's been happening so yeah that that's that's I think really important um yeah and how actually, are you finding... oh, sorry I was gonna say to are you, you finding... this time this whole pandemic period has, has it affected you in terms of I don't know being uh, <laughs> being more sure of the things you want to focus on or write about and you know your intentions or is it just kind of business as usual for you you know you you have a very strong identity and you know sense of what you're I doing mean, already. You know, it's a good has question. It made you think, has it made you think oh there are other areas I want to explore do you know what I mean like like yeah. I talk to some people and they're like, oh, I've never, you know, I've never really written, I, I don't know, um, I've had never really thought about writing novellas and suddenly I wrote a novella during during this period and it's made me think about form in a different way. Do you know what I mean? So I just wonder. Yeah. Whether... No, definitely. I mean, I think, I think at the moment, I think I still don't quite have the measure of the impact mm. that all of this is had or is having on me, all of this stuff. Yeah. I think we're going to be dealing with this stuff for years to come probably yeah, but yeah. in terms of my writing I don't think it's done much at all I'm sort of really bloody minded and single minded <laughs> in terms of my writing project I kind of know what it is that I'm doing and what I want, want to do so I think I'm just gonna I mean I'm also gonna try and write a new novel because um that's what I do yeah, but um yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of um so yeah, it's just it's, it's it's I think it's like more like what I said before. It hasn't changed much. I kind of know what my project is, and I just want to do it better and better and more ambitious and more ambitious. That's, That's sort amazing. of what I yeah. guess I, I want to do. But I've also been writing little bits of um, um like you. I've also been writing commissions that were sort of half. I've had a commission from Freeze, you know, the art magazine that was a um, non-fiction. Oh, yeah, I turned it. It was like they were, um, they were, I turned the non-fiction into partly fiction. So they were open to like having like some hybrid, um, half part fictional part, speculative. That's really cool. Thing. So that was, that was good fun. It's lovely when you get commissions like that, actually, that, you know, you can just, you can, it still, you know, has your kind of authenticity and you can play around with it and do something fun with it. That's. You know, like you said, it's like like blending fiction and non-fiction and doing something interesting. Yeah, that's quite fun. Yeah. Um, I think 
we are at the end of the hour. Are we sort of, um, have we got any more questions or have we sort of addressed most of the questions that we have? I think um, we've got them all. Should we say, should we say thanks to everyone? Or I guess we should stick to the hour so that it's not like a made a massive <laughs> a massive video file by the end of it. Yeah, for them to have to kind of process. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for their questions as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, really interesting questions too. Yeah, really interesting questions, guys. And thank you so much for coming and listening. Oh, thank and you. Um, thank you so much for reading. Oh, and, it's a joy, um, it's a pleasure. <laughs> we've said thanks to everyone at the LRB as well, um, Claire and Anthony, and everybody who's selling our books there as well, Gail especially. Um, I know that uh, people are, are working on selling, selling our work there, so really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.